Hello, and thank you for joining the New Life Baptist Church podcast. It is such a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you through this platform, and it's our desire that you would have an open heart to receive what the Lord has for you through this message. If you'd like to contact us, please visit our website at newlifecasagrande.com. There you'll find contact information to reach us directly, or if you're local to the Casa Grande area, you'll find information to plan your first visit. If you benefit from this sermon, please share it with a friend or feel free to leave a review. Now, let's get ready to hear what God has for us today. Uh, we had a great time last night, and uh, our men had the opportunity to get together and just to hang out a little bit, and we enjoyed uh, just some good fellowship, some good competition. Uh, it's kind of in the blood a little bit to have some competition, and uh, so we had a good time last night. Now, uh, we had uh, competitions in... Uh, shooting, some shooting competitions, had some winners there. Some kids did a good job and pulled off some prizes last night. We had some archery competitions. That didn't go as well. The wind came in last night. And uh, of course, I shot much better than Tim Good did. It was pretty amazing, but uh, just kidding. Uh, but Tim was out there teaching our boys how to shoot uh, bows and arrows and, uh, and just having a good time with that. And then uh, we, we played uh, closest to the pin. So if you don't know what that is, it's basically a, a kind of a pitching wedge golf game. And, and so we had, you know, so many yards set up and we had to pitch it uh, uh, to the tee, uh, the cup. And whoever got closest to the cup uh, won. I think Greg cheated. And uh, I, I got within 19 or 21 inches of the pin. I had it. I carried the record all night. Then all of a sudden, and think about this. Greg comes to me and he says, you know, um, I got a little closer than you. I, I'm 19 inches from the pin, but I don't understand. His son was the one doing the measuring. I think that's a little unfair, to be honest. I mean, if we're going to, don't you agree? Are you disagreeing with me, Tony? And, uh, but uh, no, Greg, Greg got closest to the pin. We did a little cornhole and, and had some horseshoes set up, football toss. Just had a great time investing uh, in the young men and, uh, and the men that were here, got to enjoy some ribeye steak. I love ribeye. I don't love it when it's $13 a pound. Straight up $13 a pound for ribeye steak right now. And uh, that, that, you better enjoy every morsel. And if I hear any complaint, uh, you can pay up. What's up, Olga? Good morning. Uh, not to center you out, but you walk down the center. So why not, right? The center just walked down the center. Okay, fair enough. And just kidding, Olga. Uh, but good to see her today. Uh, so we had just a great time uh, investing in each other and great fellowship. You know what? That's what the body of believers should be about. We should be enjoying each other's company. We mentioned this yesterday. Um, you don't have to wait for an event to get together uh, with God's people. We have guys in our church that mountain bike together. We have guys that go out on big dove hunting expeditions together. Uh, we have guys that love just going to the range and shooting together. We have guys that love putting together flower baskets. Just kidding. And we have some uh, guys that uh, just uh, like to golf. They go out and golf together, uh, things of that nature. And we have ladies that meet and they fellowship and they hang out together and they do things together, go out to eat together. Um, that some ladies also go shoot together. Okay, it's, it's okay. And, and it's great. And um, I don't want you to wait on organized church events to find opportunity to hang out with God's people, to be sharpened by each other, to be encouraged by each other. I need you 
and uh, I need your fellowship and encouragement. And so I praise the Lord for the good time we had last evening. And for all of you who came out and served and labored, thank you so much for working diligently to help with that. Uh, we could not have done it without you. So thanks for, for hanging out with us last evening. Hey, it's time to dismiss our Sprouts kids. Are y'all ready? All right, so all of our little Sprouts, our kindergartners, you can go out this way. All of our little Sprouts and all of our big Sprouts can go out this way, first through fourth grade and up. You're welcome to head out that direction. And uh, in just a little while, one of our Sprouts is going to be baptized today. And uh, so looking forward uh, to that in just a little bit. Sonia accepted Christ as her Savior and desires to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And so um, after the service, we'll get right outside and have uh, baptism together today. I love it when one of these kids come to Christ, and it's just wonderful to watch. And so praise God for that. All right. So for those of you um, that haven't uh, been a part of this year's uh, series, I guess, if I could call that. Um, I'd like to take some time and recap uh, what's going on here at New Life Baptist Church. One of the greatest callings that we have as individuals it, is to be a disciple. Uh, but sometimes the word disciple is just kind of shady. Yeah, it, it's kind of like not clear. And so we want to take the opportunity uh, to clear up what our Lord says a disciple is. And so we've kind of laid it out um, within this thinking of a disciple, be one, make one. And so we're spending some time defining what it is to be one. And then we're going to take some time later to learn how to make one. And so with that being said, let's just kind of, let, let's just kind of bring everybody up to speed. In order to be a disciple, number one, you've got to be a believer. There are many followers out there that follow different things. Matter of fact, Jesus Christ himself had large crowds that followed him, but only few were believers. Matter of fact, the Bible says narrow is the way. Broad is the way to destruction, but narrow is the way to Christ. And it's, it's not because God doesn't want to accept those who come to him, nor is it because God doesn't want it to be a broad path to him. But many will not choose to forsake all in order to follow him. So narrow is the way. In order to be a disciple, you have to be a believer. So, so first of all, today, a disciple is a believer, someone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Let me, let me make it simple. Your salvation and your eternal security um, has to be in one. All your eggs have to be in one basket. You, you're not a believer because you're an attender at church. You're not a believer because you're a follower of religion. You're not a believer because you have a great resume. You're only a believer in Jesus Christ if you put all your faith in the forgiveness of sins and your eternity in Jesus Christ alone through the work of the cross, through the work of Calvary. So my question is, first, are you a believer? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone? The Bible says there is no other way that we can get to heaven but by the man Jesus Christ. He said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If there was any other way, why did Jesus have to come? Are you a believer? Secondly, uh, a disciple is a follower. 
A follower. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been defining what a follower is. It is someone who is actively following Jesus, meaning this, they are leaving something. In order for me to follow something, I have to obviously what? There's got to be a turning. There has to be a leaving of something and a turning unto Jesus Christ. Okay? There has to be learning. You cannot be a disciple if you're not a learner. You have to be a student, the Bible says, of God, of Jesus, of the Word. In order to be a a disciple, we have no other picture in Scripture of disciples than those who sat at the feet of Jesus, and they learned of Him, and they grew in Him. Thirdly, you've got to love Him, and we'll we'll talk about that in just a moment, okay? So in order to be a disciple, number one, you've got to be a what? A believer. Number two, you've got to be a follower. Number three, you have to be a worker, Anyone who is a true disciple of Jesus Christ will be doing something for the kingdom. They will be serving and making a difference, following the example of Jesus Christ himself, who came and gave himself to us. You have to be a worker. Don't tell me you are a disciple of Jesus Christ and you do nothing for him. You have to be a worker. And then number four, this, I believe, is something that grows and develops within a disciple's life. You will be a disciple maker. You'll not just be someone who is a believer and someone who is following Jesus and someone who is working, but you will be investing in the lives of others. Jesus told his disciples, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Matthew chapter 28 says this, that we are to come to Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. Now watch, in order to be a disciple, you got to be a believer, you got to be a follower, you got to be a worker, and growing into be a disciple maker, someone who invests in the lives of of others. Now, over the last several weeks, we've been focusing on this second one. What is a follower? What is a follower? A follower, first of all, is someone who is actively following Jesus. How do they do that? They do that, first of all, by leaving. Tyler discussed several Sundays ago that leaving requires a change of attitude. When you leave something, your attitude has to change to something else. When you are a follower, you're learning, you're studying the Word of God, and then thirdly is where we're going to focus today, love. In order to be a follower, love is demanded. It's it's matter of fact required. And we're going to spend some time looking into the Word of God today and finding out what God's Word says about how I am to love Him. Listen, we got a lot of churches going on right now, and a lot of people are hanging out in different congregations right now, but they're just followers. Meaning, they're just attenders. They're just there to fill a quota. But they're not true followers in that um, they haven't left some things. And learning to them is just showing up on Sunday. But the the thing that's going to draw the line in the sand between a disciple and an average believer is this word love. This is where it makes a difference. Is there anything in your life 
that you're not willing to give up for something else. I want you to think about that. Is there anything in your life right now that you're not willing to give up for something or someone else? Um, there's a red-headed lady that attends this church. She's about my height. She's really cute, and I am in love with her. There's not another lady. There's not another person. There's not another item. There's not another thing that I write down in my heart, my mind, that I'm willing to give up for her. On June the 15th, 1996, I stood in, in the basement of a little church in, in Greenwood, South Carolina. My wife was to be was in another room on the opposite side of the building uh, with her bridesmaids preparing for marriage. I'm pacing that little room by myself. My dad has already come down and give me some words of wisdom. And, 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 and I'm thinking, my heart is racing. My, my, my mind is just completely just spinning. And, and, and here's my thought. I can't lie to you. This is it. When I get upstairs and I say I do, I die. That, that's what was in my mind. My wife was thinking the same thing. Hers was a little more drastic. She, she'll tell you, I was looking for a way to get out of the window so I could get in the car and drive away. Because I knew when I walked out of that room in that white dress and headed down that altar, it wasn't just marriage. It wasn't just honeymoon. It wasn't just bliss or whatever. It was a surrender of her for the rest of her life. I remember thinking, as soon as I say I do, I die to my wants. I die to all other women. I die to all other things in my life. She has preeminence. I abandon everything else. I abandon my parents. By the way, if you're married and haven't done that, you must do that. It is chosen and designed by God that you leave father and mother and cleave unto your wife and you become one. There must be abandonment of family. There must be abandonment of other relationships. There must be abandonment of, of my own personal wants and desires so that she is edified and lifted up. And that was the scariest thought. It wasn't marriage that scared me. The thing that rattled my thinking was I die to me when I say I do. And I'm not willing to trade her for anything. That's the essence of love. That's what Jesus demanded, but even so much more. The Bible tells us in Matthew, don't turn there. We're going to be in Luke 14 today, but Matthew chapter 13 says this. This is the parable um, of, of the field and the parable of the pearl. Watch what the Bible says. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hid in a field. The which, when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth a field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. See the process? Simplicity, the, the Bible says that a man is walking probably home from work one day, and like you and I do, he's probably just kicking rocks, working his way home, and he crosses a piece of land that is either for sale or it's just public property. And while he's crossing it, he's kicking in his foot, stumps something, and then he moves the dirt over, 
And he, I don't know if it was a rock like a diamond or if it was a coin or whatever. And he sees something shiny and he cleans it up. And then he realizes as he's digging around the treasure that he has found. The Bible says at that moment, he covers it back up, recognizing what is available. And the Bible says with joy. Do you understand that statement? This must have been so big that with joy... He goes back home, he sells everything that he has, everything. He takes the money, he heads over to the magistrates, he says, you know that little parcel of land that's along Route 72? Um, I want to purchase that piece of property. They give him the price. With joy, he turns it over in order to have the property with the treasure. A man finds a pearl. He's in the pearl business. He finds a pearl of great price. He goes and sells all the other pearls in order to obtain this one. And he does it with joy. Jesus Christ is the greatest example of this. For God so loved the world that he gave that of greatest price that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Herein is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the payment, the satisfaction for us. Jesus Christ is this beautiful, wonderful example of perfect love. Matter of fact, I love Peter's response in John chapter 6. This is a cool story. There, there are big crowds that are following Jesus, and Jesus gets done teaching, and one of the, uh, uh, excuse me, Jesus gets done teaching, and then the crowd is leaving. They're all kind of got their belly full, and they're walking away. And Jesus turns to the 12, and he says this, will you go also? They're going away. Will you go also? I love Peter's response. He says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? What he was saying was, what is better than you? You're the one that has the words of life. Where, where are we going to go? How, how are we going to get anything better than what we have? You have everything we need. Why would we leave? What a powerful thought, which brings me to our text today. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter number 14. Notice the love of God for his disciples. Jesus is now raising the bar. Jesus is now um, letting his disciples know what is required to be such. So let's take an opportunity to study this passage. Open your Bibles again. Luke chapter number 14. Notice what he says in verse number 26. Ready? My disciple... My disciple. He cannot be my disciple. Look at verse number 27. It says it again. My disciple. Not just any disciple, not a disciple, not a group of disciples. My disciple. This is Jesus speaking. Notice again in verse 33. Luke 14, verse 33. Again, he says, my disciple. Why is that important? Because now Jesus is raising the bar. It, it, again, 
please recognize all throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the Gospels or the stories of Jesus' ministry here on earth, there were great crowds until the end. There were thousands. Remember one story, Jesus fed how many? 5,000 men is what is numbered. We don't even have record of the children and the ladies, the wives that were there. And then later he feeds 4,000 again. There are multitudes thronging him so much that on a large beach, he can't even stand anymore on the beach. He has to climb up multiple times in somebody's boat to, to teach them. So, so the fact that there are followers is obvious. What's the difference between a simple follower and a disciple who chooses to leave and learn of him and then love him? My disciple, can I pause here just for a minute and say this? There's a fine line drawn in the sand with what I'm about to say. And I, and I handle this carefully, so let me, okay? There's a fine line drawn in the sand. Many people believe in order to be a true believer that you're automatically a disciple. Because there comes a point in your life where in order to choose Jesus, you're willing to let go of everything. Illustration. What if I'm speaking to someone and, and this guy says, hey, pastor, I'm ready to be a believer. I'm ready to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm like, great, come on, let's do that. But I am living in adultery right now and I'm not gonna give that up. Again, I know I'm dealing with a fine line here because we don't believe in a work salvation. I understand this that if a guy becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, puts his faith and then later learns that his lifestyle is a sin, then at that moment he needs to consider giving that up for Christ. But we live in a world where we make it super easy to come to Jesus, but Jesus always made it a little harder to come to him. And I want to be careful with this. We live in a world that says, believe on Jesus and keep living any way you want, and it's okay. And my Bible never says that. Amen. Never. You say, Pastor, this is that kind of message that runs people away. It's the same message that Jesus preached. That's why his crowd went from big to smaller to smaller to very small. Wide is the way to destruction. Narrow is the way to heaven. We have a lot of people that want to claim this salvation thing, and you haven't left or given up anything. So how can you tell me you really love him? But if we're going to go beyond that, don't you dare tell me or anybody else that you're a disciple. And there's nothing that you're leaving, and you're not learning, and you're not loving him supremely. Here's what Jesus says. In order to be my disciple... Watch what the text says. Look at chapter 14 from, from verse number 25 through verse number 35. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned, and he said unto them. Watch what's happening. I believe the Bible's clear. Jesus has been teaching, and Jesus always taught the word in the way. Jesus didn't necessarily take this approach, okay, where there was a service set apart and a time to come into a building um, although later he will initiate that, and we call that the church in the book of Acts. We see that assembling of people. But when Jesus was here, 
the process outside of the synagogue was a, a teacher who taught along the way. That's why we see him roadside, seaside, in houses, in places. And I believe Jesus had finished up a teaching and now he's walking and crowds have gathered, more are coming. And somewhere along the way, Jesus stops and he turns and faces the followers. You got the picture? That's what the Bible says. And he turned and said unto them, If any man come after me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters and also his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Pretty radical, wouldn't you say? Notice the next, verse 27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost? So think about this. With following Jesus, there's always a decision. With following Jesus, there must be a moment where you literally count the cost. There's got to be. Or I don't understand me. I don't understand what I am if I don't consider the cost of being a believer in Jesus Christ or at least being a disciple of Jesus Christ. I have to consider the cost. Notice his illustration here. The Bible says, For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Less, happily, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it began to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish it. Now, you and I are going to have a hard time, we're going to explain this in a moment, of how to handle the word hate and how to handle this particular illustration. But the Jews did not. Please remember, when God wrote this passage or when this was taking place, it wasn't to common everyday people who lived in 2021. It was in context, although available for us, written to Jewish people who understood that throughout history, Jehovah God, watch, had dedicated himself to them continually, and yet they continually failed at dedicating themselves to him. All throughout Jewish history, God said, I give myself, I'm yours, I'm completely yours, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Even when you turn to idols, I'm here, if you'll call upon me, I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you know not. I'm here, I'm dedicated. And now he looks at these people and he says this, and to us today, if you don't hate, well, hate's a hard word. Isn't it? When I think of the word hate, okay, um, the North Carolina Tar Heels come to mind. Okay? Uh, I'm a Duke fan, so I hate the Tar Heels, right? I despise them. Rip the stuff up. Burn it all. Don't bring that junk in my house, right? I mean, uh, uh, from a sports attitude. When I think of hate, I think of, you know, crushing it, stabbing it, destroying it. God's never commanded anybody to destroy their family. The, the Jewish idea here from a word that we don't recognize, but they did, is simply the word this. It's the word of preference, or let's use the word lesser. 
So what Jesus was saying in this passage is, if you don't see father as lesser and mother as lesser, if you don't prefer me over wife, if you don't prefer me over children, if you don't prefer me over your own life, if you're not willing to abandon yourself for me, you cannot be my disciple. Illustration, remember Abraham and Isaac? Isaac, take your son, your only son. I mean, uh, Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and take him up to a mountain. Why? Because there you're going to sacrifice your only son to me. Does God really believe in human sacrifice? What was God doing? Finding out what he preferred. So he takes a bundle of sticks with no, no, no lamb to sacrifice. He takes his son and a fire, and they head up to the top of this mount. And he lays Isaac on an altar, and he wraps him with rope. And he takes the knife, and he puts it above Isaac's head. And he's starting to come down. And God says, whoa, Abraham, I know you believe. I know you prefer me above even your only beloved son, Isaac. I provided a sacrifice in the bushes over there, a spotless lamb. And in Isaac's place, the lamb was slain for the covering of sin. Remember the story of Jacob and Esau? God says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. God has never hated any of his creation, us, his, his own. Matter of fact, he so loved the world he sent his son. The word's not, I hate Esau. What is the simple context of that passage? Jacob have I preferred. Jacob is the greater, Esau is the lesser. Even though Esau was the firstborn, Jacob's going to carry the heritage. How about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his two wives? He preferred one over the other. And the other competed all of her life to get preference. And she said later, why does he hate me? Well, he didn't hate her. He provided for her. He loved her. He took care of her needs. He did all of that. He didn't hate her, but he preferred Rachel over Leah. You cannot serve God and mammon, for either you will love one and hate the other. It's preference. One is greater one is lesser. It is so important that we see this today. Please don't miss this. When it comes to being a true disciple of Jesus Christ, something has to be lesser. Something has to be greater. That's what it means. Go back to the passage again in Luke chapter number 14. Notice verse number 25. And there went a great multitude with him, and he turned and he said unto them, If any man come after me and hate not... Hate not what? What becomes lesser? Number one, relationships, family. In this passage, what becomes lesser? Our own life, our self. What becomes lesser? Possessions, what we own, what we carry in this life. Three things the Bible says has to become lesser. And to love something means that something else is lesser and something else has greater preference. This is a tough message. It's a tough message for me. Because a true disciple will continually say no to self, say no to family, say no to possessions, 
in order for one to be greater. By the way, isn't this interesting? That's why the Bible says sometimes it's better that you be single so that you can serve me without distraction. little transparency today. Every day, Ray McCormick has to roll out of bed and ask himself what is going to be greater and what's going to be lesser. There have been times that I've let my wife become a greater distraction than what God would intend. There have been times I've let my children um, redirect my obedience. But God has to be greater. Do you understand what I'm saying? You say, Pastor, am I supposed to neglect my family? No. If God is greater, then everything else becomes what it should be. And this is what he's trying to teach about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. What do you love more? Let's discuss this idea here in the passage. Um, understanding, again, the meaning of hate here is the idea of lesser and, and the thought of expressing preference. The Bible says in Matthew 10, 37, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So I hope I've been clear about what our Lord is teaching concerning a disciple here. Notice, first of all, that loving something lesser is simply this. It's abandonment of every other love. It is to renounce all others. So um, if you're an attender here at New Life Baptist Church, you know who Robin is. You know who my wife is. She was standing up here singing beside me. Most of you are aware uh, of who Robin is. She's been by my side now for over 25 years, and uh, she is the love of my life. She's about 5'11", blue eyes, got some red hair, and, uh, and most of you know that. Our guests do not. But now you have some descriptions of what my wife looks like if you're a first-time guest here today. All right? Fair enough? Are we, are we together? So I just come in the side door for church hand-in-hand hand with a 5'11", black-haired, brown-eyed girl. Have I abandoned? That, that's, that, that's, that's not logical. Everybody's scratching their head going, is that his mother? Well, she's too young. It doesn't look like Wren. She's too old. What is pastor doing? Has he lost his mind? Okay, so, so we understand the logic, the simplicity of that thought. I want us to go back to the passage. The Bible says that God is teaching these disciples, these followers of people, in order to follow me, there's going to have to be some abandonment of every other love. Every other thing in life is going to be have to set aside, and I am first. I am to be your everything. So let me ask a question. Not speaking spiritually, what is it in your life that you're not willing to trade? What is in your life, Kenny, that you're not willing to trade? <laughs> Kenny said food. I got to have some food. I agree with Kenny. Um, I am not willing. Uh, matter of fact, I am right now, uh, I'm not willing to become vegetarian. Even let, let's go a step further. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm a strong supporter of PETA, people eating tasty animals. And I think that's an amazing, amazing group to follow. And uh, I'm, I'm not a veg. Okay, but, but I got to be honest with you. If the doctor said, um, you will not live if you continue to eat this way. I hope I would be willing to what? Trade for life. 
How many of you have a family heirloom that's been handed down multiple generations? Raise your hand. Anybody have a family heirloom? I've got one. What's your family heirloom? It's a rifle. How many generations? Three generations. What kind of rifle is it? Mm, pump action 22 Remington 1940. That's a pretty classic gun. I got, a, I, I got two 30 alt sixes that were uh, handed down to me identical from my grandpa. And uh, one was his actual gun and one that he bought for me to match his gun. And now that he can't hunt, I have both here. And I, I love them. And, and if somebody were to say, Tyler's actually tried. He has got a whole set of this. What, what is that called, Tyler? The, 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 the Remington master set, and he's got all of them except for the one that I have, right? And, uh, and so he is, uh, he's a actually picked on me a couple of times about um, uh, giving him that. Matter of fact, I will give you one of them if you stay here 20 years at least. 20-year anniversary, you get that. All right, so, um, but um, I say that I'm not willing to give that up, but you and I both know that I'll give up that heirloom in the privacy of my home for the right amount. My attitude is, he's going to die anyway. He'll never know. Right? Isn't that horrible? But a million dollars is a million dollars, right? I mean, come on. There's some things I've been willing to trade. Willing to give up. So let me illustrate this if I can. And I want to be very careful because I only know my story. I don't know your story. I really don't. In 19... 94, Jesus Christ saved me. And that same night that I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I knew he had been pulling at my heart about giving my life to him for full-time Christian service. And so I surrendered to be a preacher. I remember going to drop ad, last day of drop ad at, at the college, and I had, I had just given my life to Christ. I remember going to drop ad and saying, hey, I, I need to change my major from business to, to ministry, and, and I need to switch all my entire class set. And she said, there's no way possible that's going to happen, not this late in the game. I said, well, let's try. And she went through and put it in. Oh, that one's open, and that one's open, and that one's open, and that one's open. And all my classes were open. So I remember walking across the campus and saying, okay, God, I've given my life to you, but I've got hundreds of dollars of books, and I don't have any money to buy any more. You're going to have to make this swap-out deal happen to go from business to ministry. And I, I remember trading in all the books except for a $75 accounting book. And I'm like, okay, well, God, you must not be in it. I remember standing in the line in the bookstore. I can still see it. And, she, and the lady said, nope, can't trade it in. That's a used book. And the girl behind me said, excuse me, is that a used accounting book? I'm, well, yes, it is. <laughs> She said, I'll give you 75 bucks for it. I said, I'll take it. And from then, I've never looked back. Have I been tempted? Yes. Have I been tried? Yes. Has life been hard? Yes. Have I gone without? Yes. After graduating, we moved to South Carolina, and God gave us uh, uh, a couple wonderful jobs. I worked as a Coca-Cola route salesman, making really good money, filling vending machines. I was that guy that got up early in the morning and went and click, 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 filled vending machines over and over again, making good money. My wife was a nurse, making really good money. Both of us, triple digits and a little above together in our income. We had five acres of land and a big triple-wide trailer, two horses and two dogs. We was enjoying life. You want to know what my life was that day? I just wanted to preach. All I cared about was preaching. I would tape little Bible verses to the steering wheel of my coach. Like I remember almost rear-ending a person one time because I was reading a Bible verse, slammed on brakes, and had to clean up bottles in the back for about an hour and a half. 
I just wanted to preach. There's a little tiny Christian school, about 30, 40 students in, in our little city. And the pastor of the church we were attending said, hey, you want to preach here? I said, yes, I do. I went to my coat worker and I said, hey, hey, I want to preach on these two mornings, Tuesday and Wednesday. He said, you can do that if you want to. He said, but it's going to make for a really long day. I don't care. I would get up at five something in the morning and go and make sure my truck was, was set. And I would drive to the first couple of outside machines. And I would go to this little tiny Christian school and I would take off my coat uniform and put on you know, a coat and tie and and then go in and preach to these kids and then go back out and take my coat and tie off and put back on my uniform and I'd get home late in the day. I loved preaching. None of this other stuff mattered anymore because there was one greater love and nothing else dictated any of that. My wife and I would both race home and get done so we'd come and work in the youth group at this church and then we took over the singles class in that church and all we cared about was serving Jesus until God called us to Arizona we sold it all, packed up a U-Haul and drove across the country. I remember making that turn around Tucson, coming to Marana. You know what I'm talking about as you come through Tucson and that little elbow turns to come north toward Phoenix. I remember looking at my wife saying, baby, we're going to win Tucson to Jesus. I was so excited. Getting to that little tiny church, we lived in a single wide trailer, guys. We lived literally, this is no stretch. I can show you pictures. We found pictures the other day. We lived in a single wide trailer where my queen bed fit in the room to where one wall was a headboard, one wall was a footboard, and one wall was a sideboard. I didn't even know you had those, but we had it. You could sit on the toilet and turn on the sink, flush it, and turn the shower on and not even get up. <laughs> it was a great setup, man. No joke, we had to turn sideways to go down the hall in this little trailer. And my closet, because there was one closet, Olga, in the whole house, my closet was outside in one of those flimsy metal sheds where you slide the door to get stuck in the dirt. You know what I'm talking about? And I'd have to take my suits out and dust them off literally every time. But I'm telling you, we were thrilled to live in that environment and serve Jesus. There was nothing like it. Nothing. With all the difficulty, with all the hardships, with all the heartaches, it was awesome serving Jesus. This is just my story. God called us to full-time evangelism in 2000. I still had that candy apple red Ford Mustang. How many of you know that I love Mustangs? You've already heard that, right? Had this candy apple red 1997 Ford Mustang my dad bought for me when I graduated from college. But I knew I couldn't tow a 40-foot fifth wheel with that thing. So I put it up for sale and was happy to do so because I love Jesus more. Are you feeling it? There have been times even now, and I don't mean to elevate me, there have been times, and, and you're, you're just hearing a little bit of the illustration where I've had to tell Ray no a bunch of times in order to tell God yes. Teenager walked up with the cash, took that car and drove it away. And I remember thinking, all right, Lord, here we go. We're going to hit the road, sell the house with nothing. I remember the day God called us back to Arizona to plant this church seven years ago. We took everything we had again and just sold it. Hopped in an RV, excuse me, a little um, one of those conversion vans, and we drove the country for a year raising money for this church. We came here in, in September of 2014 having no idea what God was going to do. And on, on, on February the 15th, the launch of this church, having no idea who was going to walk in the back, no idea how to pay the bills. Remember, uh, using the debit card to pay for sound equipment. Oh, God, I mean, it, it was awesome. And we just loved Jesus. 
This is not a boast of this, but do you want a pastor who's going to do anything less? Do you want a pastor who's going to choose his gadgets over his ministry? Do you want a pastor who's not a disciple? Do you want a pastor who, who hasn't given all to Jesus and Jesus is first? But I'm telling you, it's not about the title. It's not about pastor or ministry leader or missionary. It is people who say, Jesus, I'm willing to leave something so that I can learn of you because I love you supremely that I'm willing to abandon everything else. And Ray McCormick literally rolls out of bed this morning. And you don't know this right now, but Advil is keeping this left knee from hurting. And I had to tell myself this morning it's not about me. It's about you. The Apostle Paul says, I die daily. I crucify me and my attitudes and my um, desires and wants. I slay them every single day for him to have priority. And sometimes you know this is true almost every single moment. I got to tell me no to tell God, yes, this is not a story. By the way, if you're a guest here today, these kinds of thoughts are not permeated throughout the messages here at New Life Baptist Church. But again, it's just my story, and I'm trying to illustrate it. There's nothing wrong with having a Mustang as long as you're willing to abandon it when God says to do so. There's nothing wrong with having a beautiful marriage as long as you're willing to abandon the control for God. There's nothing wrong with having beautiful children as long as you don't let the children dictate what's happening in your life. There's nothing wrong with having a nice house as long as the nice house is not keeping you locked down to where you can't give yourself to Jesus. There's nothing wrong with having a cool car. But if you can't give financially to God because you're locked into everything else in this life, then that's your God. That's what you love more. Do you understand what he's saying? There's only going to be a few people in this crowd that are saying this. God, we want to follow you. Remember the story? Jesus, let me follow you. And Jesus says, well, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I don't have anywhere to lay my head. I borrow my pillows and sometimes they're rocks. But Jesus, we're ready to follow you. Oh, really? You want to follow me? Then... Then, then follow me. Oh, well, 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 let me go home first and bury my dad. And Jesus looks at him and said, let the dead bury the dead. You follow me. You say, well, that's awful cold. He wouldn't even let a kid go to his own funeral or his dad's funeral? No. If his dad had just died, the guy probably wouldn't have been following him in the first place. It's Jewish culture. In Jewish culture, boys were demanded to stay home and take care of the elderly until they passed away. And then once they'd passed away, they had no more bondage to that and they were set free to go work. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, let somebody else take care of the dead. Let those who are not following me take care of the dead. You follow me. Hey, I'll follow you, Jesus. Really? Let's go. Well, well first of all, let me go back and make sure my plow's plowing straight. That's an actual story, believe it or not. I've heard more ridiculous myself, Right? I got to make sure my plow's plowing straight before I can go. Let me, let me go back home and make sure it's, it's doing the job, and then I'll follow you. And the Lord said, just go take care of the plow. Because if that's more important, then you can't be my disciple. Do you understand abandonment? I know it sounds hard. I know it's radical. But we live in a church today that has made it way too easy to follow Jesus. That's why the church is not effective. 
It's just way too easy. I can be me and be him at the same time, and you can't. Notice there is abandonment. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. Number two, every other love is subordinate to the greatest love. This is really cool. This helps me to understand love. Every other love is subordinate to the greatest love. Now, you may not agree with this illustration, but I'm going to give it anyway. Okay, fair enough. I love my kids, but guess who I love more than I love my kids? I love my wife. God gave me to her first. Gave her to me first. And after all these kids are growing up and gone, guess what we're going to have? Me and her. Okay? All right, fair enough. And so there's order. There's order in my home. She's first. Then they're next. And after that, guess what? It's you. You're my flock. But guess who you're not more important than? My children. I'll leave all of you in a heartbeat and go somewhere else in order to take care and protect and love and nurture my children in a heartbeat. Ah, matter of fact, that there may be some time coming up where this pastor feels like I might need to pull apart. We've had another pastor here before, and you understand, there might be a day come that I pull out for about three or four weeks in order just to get away and to reset and to make sure the warning lights are turned off in order to take care of my spouse and my kids and my family. Why? Because there's order. Different things are subordinate to different things, right? After you comes everything else. Sometimes me and Tyler can't go mountain biking because there's an activity that's got to be prepared. Do you understand? I love mountain biking. Is there anything wrong with mountain biking? Do you mind if your pastor goes mountain biking every once in a while? Anybody have a problem with that? If you do, you can go to Crossroads, okay? Uh, I'm just kidding. You can go somewhere else, right? And, uh, I'm, but I'm just kidding. I'm being sarcastic. I don't want you to go. But um, we like to go. But you know what? If there's an activity like there was yesterday where there's an event going on, I don't have time. Why? Because the church is subordinate to personal activities. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, now, this is what the text is saying. Jesus is not saying to hate your father and your mother. It is saying that you have to make one more and the other lesser. And if you make one lesser, the Bible says that, that everything is abandoned for it and everything else becomes subordinate to that. Notice what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. And hereby we do know that we know him. How? If we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby, we that know, hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought also to walk even as Christ walked. Do you understand? It's just subordination to him. Husbands, love your wives even as... Christ of the church. It, 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 it's subordinate to his leading. Masters, take care of your servants as Christ, the master, has taken care of you. It's subordinate to his leading. Everything else in life has to be subordinate to God. I, I, I'm not going to be overly um, illustrative here because I'll let the Holy Spirit do that in your heart. But some of us choose job, then God. Which one is subordinate? Some of us choose family and then God. Which one is subordinate? 
Some of us choose our possessions, our events, our activities. That's fine. It's not fine. That's your choice, but don't say I'm a disciple. I'm just an average follower. Everything in my life has to be subordinate to him. Everything in order to be a disciple. Number three, my expectations are in one. My expectations are in one. You know, they say, they say you can tell where someone's joy is by where their expectations lie. If my expectations lie in Augustine, I'm going to be sorely disappointed. Right, Augustine? Because Augustine's made of flesh, and sometimes he'll, he'll let me down. If, 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 if I'm trusting in grace's attitude to be what I put my joy in, then I'm going to be sadly disappointed in life. If, if, if I'm trusting in Jim McIntyre back there to be my expectation of what a man's going to be, then I'm going to be sorely disappointed. If, if, if I put my expectation in Tony's opinions, then I'm going to be disappointed. It's amazing where we let our joy lie. Who has our expectations? Boy, Pastor, really, he messed up today, so I'm going to go search another church. I'm going to find another church because they don't meet my expectations. I'm going to find another husband or wife or family or house or lands or car, or I'm going to find another job or employment because none of this meets my expectations. But if your expectations are in Jesus and him alone, because he is your greatest love, it doesn't matter what anybody else does. My life is not dictated by my expectations in them. That church is not enough for me. They don't have enough events. They don't do enough things for me. Do you hear that? I didn't get patted on the back. By the way, Rocio did a wonderful job. We're taking care of food, and I'm just now doing this, and I, and I don't normally do that, but I'm so thankful for a lady like that. I don't have to give her name in church because her expectations are not in her name being mentioned so that everybody will be happy. Disciples are not made because expectations are in everything else. True disciples find their expectations in Jesus. That's the truth of the matter. And you want to know why? And I say this, and I'm very honest with me and you. By the way, this preacher has been in tears over the last couple of days and been broken and been nervous. I've said this before as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs to bring this to you today. I've had to address this in my own heart. But don't be surprised why most men don't attend church anymore because the church is a bunch of hypocrites. I'm not saying new life in particular. Don't think I'm beating you up today. I'm not. I'm just saying you know as well as I know that the world knows, even lost people knows, that if you're going to be a believer and a follower, there is a difference. And I don't have to go because they're just like the rest of us. That's why Jesus, watch, he's making everything wide and he's bringing it into a little more narrow. If you're my disciple, there's going to be some lesser in your life, and I'm going to be everything, and your expectations are going to be in me. Hebrews chapter 10, it's all about the gospel, and I close with this. It's all about the gospel. The reason you and I get to love him is because he first loved us, and sometimes 
we get this attitude like, man, I owe God so much. Can I tell you this right now? You don't owe God anything. You couldn't pay him back if you tried. God doesn't love you any less today than he ever has, and he cannot love you more than he does now. You don't owe God anything. He loves you, and he loved you first. That's why he sent his only son to die on a cross. You became his expectation. You became his passion. Why did he go to the cross? Because the Bible says in John chapter 15, I'm going to be obedient to the Father, and because I love you. That's why he came. He abandoned everything so that you and I could have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Look, we don't owe God anything. We don't give our life to God because we owe him. We give our life to God as fruit from what he's done for us. I'm just living and loving because he loved me. Church, you serve an amazing, wonderful, awesome God, and he's worthy of our love He's worthy of our discipleship. He's worthy of our attention. He's worthy of our passions. Herein is love again. He loved you for God. So I could go on and on in these familiar passages about how much God loved you and what he gave up so that you might have eternal life. You want to be a disciple? Then you got to be a believer. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ who died for every one of your sins and gave up the glory of heaven and took on himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man and then he humbled himself and he became obedient to death for you? Are you a believer? Are you a follower? Ask yourself the question, has there been some leaving? Am I learning? Am I loving? Is everything... Abandoned for him, subordinate to him. My expectations are in him. Make sense? It's tough. It is something that we deal with every single day. But these are, these are, this is the criteria that God has given to us. So there's again a lady who knows that there is one thing that I'm willing to give up for her. Or excuse me, there's one thing that I will give her up for. Does your wife know that? Hey, honey, I love you, but I'm following God above all else. There's one thing I'm willing to give up my kids for. There's, there's, there's one that's more, there's one that's less. God, God, you've got my all. Is there anything that holds higher value in your life that you're not willing to say, okay, God, I trust you with this. It's all yours. It's, it's all yours. We serve an amazing God, and he loves you this morning. Father, I pray that you would help us wrap our minds around this. We want to thank you for joining us on the NLBC podcast today. We hope that God will allow this message to truly make a difference in your life. As you learn more about Him and as you study His Word, we pray that it will cause you to live out the gospel in a whole new way. 
Again, if you would like to connect with us, feel free to reach out by visiting our website at newlifecasagrande.com. If you are local to the Casa Grande area, then we would love to have you join us in person. We have services at 8.30 and 11 a.m. each Sunday morning with a host of other opportunities to develop a godly community to learn and to grow. We'll see you next week on the New Life Baptist Church Podcast. Thank you.